Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tomorrow's MSP podcast, the voice of the medical services profession, where medical services professionals and industry experts contribute their voices about popular topics, including the impacts of artificial intelligence, MSP core competencies, department advocacy, leadership, and more. I'm your host, Lauren Leacoris, content editor for NAMS. On this episode, we're joined by Amy Woolley Randall, NAMS President and System Director of Medical Staff Services at Centura Health, Mallory Murbeth, System Manager at Centura Health, and Kate Kramer, Director of the Central Verification Office for McLaren Healthcare. In this roundtable conversation, we'll hear these ladies speak to the importance of advocating for women in the medical services profession and why it is important to nurture future generations of MSPs. So go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'm Amy Wally Randall. I'm the System Director for Medical Staff Services for Centura Health, which is a 17 hospital system in Colorado and Western Kansas. And I'm Mallory Murbeth. I'm a manager of medical staff services also at Centura Health. Um, I also am the system peer review manager for our 17 hospital health system. And I'm Kate Kramer. I'm the director of the Central Verification Office and Medical Staff Services for McLaren Healthcare, which is a 14 hospital system based out of Michigan and one hospital in Ohio. Talk about your journey as an MSP and how you got your start in this profession. So whenever I get to talk about my journey as an MSP and how I got my start in the profession, I am amazed at how many others can relate to the story I tell. So my story is likely similar to that of many of our listeners. We hear it a lot. I found this profession accidentally. I took a job I didn't know anything about. It's a credentialing job, and I fell in love with it in terms of being a profession, and it's turned into a career that has now spanned 20 years this year. I started out as a credentialer in a small nonprofit county medical society that acted like a local CBO for two hospitals in town, and I made a decision to obtain my certification, and that was really important because my then employer supported the idea but couldn't support it financially. So I really made a choice and empowered myself to pursue it in spite of lacking their financial support. I was going to own my own destiny and career as an MSP, and I paid for everything myself, and I got my CPCS, and I did the same thing with the next testing cycle and got my CPMSM. And for me, certification was the key to advancing my career and the best decision I ever made for myself. After that, I was able to get to a position in a hospital system, the same system I currently work in, Centura Health, as a medical staff coordinator. And when my then director interviewed me, she asked me where I wanted to be in five years. And I said, a director like you. And anyone that knows me knows I am deadline driven and an overachiever. So I learned as much as I could and worked with my leaders to create opportunities for myself to be seen, heard, and recognized as a subject matter expert in the medical staff arena. And come year four, one of our sister hospitals, CMOs, came looking for me to take a medical staff manager role. And it wasn't a director position, but I had another year to get there. And I did that because, by golly, I was going to make that deadline. And since then, I've been promoted to a system director role and am now the counterpart to my original director, who is also my mentor. Wonderful. Thank you, Amy. And Mallory? Yeah, I think my start is similar to Amy's and, and again, to I think a lot of the listeners here that I sort of fell into this profession. 
So I actually began working for the same health system I currently work for in college. I was a phlebotomist in the lab and was progressively actually promoted within the lab environment to then be a clinical leader. So sort of salaried, the first time I was salaried leader of a clinical team in the lab. And that was a really hard job. You're on call 24-7. So those of you that are listening that work in hospitals, please give credit to your nursing and your other clinical managers. It is a really hard job. When I accepted that role, I gave myself a two-year deadline to just be a career capitalist and absorb everything I could from that role with the intention of moving on. But I didn't really know where I wanted to move on. I didn't think I wanted to continue on in the lab. And about 11 months into that role as a, a supervisor in the lab, The IT trainer, so the person in our hospital that helped to train the physicians on how to use our EMR, was moving on. She was being promoted to uh, another role, and she asked if I'd be interested in interviewing for her job. And that seemed like the cushiest job you could ever imagine. It was salaried Monday through Friday. I only had to be on call once a quarter. And that person, the physician IT trainer at the time, actually sat in the medical staff services department at that hospital. So I didn't know what medical staff was. I didn't even know what that meant until I became immersed in this environment just because of geography. I I liked that job because it was flexible and sort of cushy, but it was also a little bit boring, right? There's not a whole lot of critical thinking or differences in day-to-day and helping just be at the elbow with physicians, teaching them how to put their orders in or how to do transcription. It just wasn't, it just felt sort of limiting and a little bit boring, And um, about a year and a year and a half later, that hospital got a 1.0 FTE approved for a peer review coordinator. So with my clinical experience and my knowledge of the EMR, the medical staff services manager at the time asked me if I'd be interested in applying for the peer review coordinator role. I also did not know what a peer review coordinator was. I didn't know what peer review was. I didn't know any of that, but I... She gave me sort of the rundown that all of us give to people that don't work in our industry about OPP and FPPE and case review. And I thought that sounded really interesting. So I applied for that job and got it. I got that job as well. And then there was some change with leadership and I really became immersed then and sort of even the credentialing and privileging with just helping hands since I was part of that team and in that environment and never have actually worked as a medical staff coordinator. So I went from peer review coordinator to then applied for a manager role when that became open and received it. I also sat for my CPCS as soon as I was eligible, so including my peer review coordinator work, and the CPMSM the next year as soon as I was eligible, and have sort of taken a similar approach to Amy of of just looking for all of the ways to expand my career forward. Perfect. Thanks, Mallory. And Kate? I went to college to be in, um, I guess, like Amy and Mallory, my story is a little bit similar, but I went to school to become healthcare administration. I knew I did not want a clinical role because <laughs> blood and all of that is not for me. And But going through the healthcare administration look view, you, you're not going to go from new grad to administration in one day. So I was remember looking at different jobs online. I'd graduate college, was working as an administrative assistant in the hospital. And what can I do in administration, in healthcare, but not without a clinical background? I found the job, medical staff specialist. I applied for it. Um, The hiring manager, when I interviewed for the position, asked me, do you know what this job entails? And I said, well, I Googled it, but I I don't really know. (laughs) 
So she explained the position to me. It sounded like something I wanted. I had the skill set to do it. I knew the basics of how hospitals work, joint commission, everything like that from my education, but not exactly the medical staff profession. From there, I became a specialist, moved up to a coordinator, got certified as soon as I possibly could, because once I got into the role, I knew that was the role for me. Moved to Michigan, just kind of from there progressed throughout my career, went from a medical staff coordinator to a lead medical staff coordinator, worked in the insurance industry for a little bit, and finally ended up as the medical staff manager at McLaren Greater Lansing and now the director for McLaren Healthcare. Who were some women that have inspired you throughout your career and what made them inspirational? During my 20-year career, I've had the privilege of knowing and working with many exceptional MSPs that fall into that category of being inspirational, and I'm proud to call them friends, not just colleagues. They've been my mentors, they've been my cheerleaders, they've been my role models, and they're mainly inspirational for just demonstrating support for one another, the encouragement they had for me in becoming part of this profession and being teachers. But I think they also showed me the importance of being determined and compassionate and having integrity within this industry. And they really did their part to pave a smoother path for those coming after them and and made me want to do the same. But when I think about my ultimate inspiration, I have to go back to my mother who emigrated from Thailand to the United States in 1973. She didn't know anyone but my father and she spoke very little English. And she never had the same opportunities when it came to schooling because her family lacked the money to send her beyond the fourth grade. So she always wanted me to understand the importance of education and wanted to motivate me to always strive to be better. She told me not to quit, that hard things take practice, and just the overall importance of being accountable and being responsible. She learned English. She got her U.S. citizenship. And she showed me that with hard work and practice, I can do anything I put my mind to as well. She raised me to be strong and more self-assured about who I am with each life experience. And she never wanted me to ever feel less than someone else. She wanted me to determine my own worth as a human being and prove to myself I could sit at the head of any table and be in charge. So she really inspired me to be a leader and an independent thinker and to have large aspirations in life. So when I think about women who have inspired me throughout my career, in my career as an MSP, I've had the incredibly good fortune of reporting to two MSPs, who one is a, the current NAMS president and also Bonnie Gutierrez, who is a former NAMS president. And so I've had the incredible good fortune and good luck to just fall into an environment where the people who know the right answers are a phone call or a text message away. And that has been so important for my career. But beyond that, I think as someone whose background as an MSP was the peer review coordinator sort of route, and when I became a manager of medical staff services, the coordinators who worked for me have been really inspirational. The, the way that they really own that title as the gatekeeper of patient safety and take it seriously every single day and are willing to share that information with me or anyone else who asks about why certain things are important or what they're looking for or why their job is integral to the functioning of our hospital has been really inspirational. And, and the fact that they don't ever get tired of it, they don't ever get tired of reviewing background checks to make sure something wasn't missed or double checking that the education verification is there. It's important to them every single day and every single credentials file they work. 
And then the other, one other person that I think about that's been really inspiring to me is actually the CEO of one of the hospitals I currently work at. She has a really interesting life story, but she was the CNO before she was promoted to CEO. And when she was a CNO, was hired when I was on maternity leave, so I didn't really know her. But I remember one of my first days coming into the office, walking up the stairwell when I had come back from leave. She was walking down the stairwell carrying a dustpan and broom, like the chief nursing officer of a hospital carrying a dustpan and broom. And I, I had met her once before, so I knew who she was. And I said, it's a 7 a.m., you know, what are you, where are you going with that dustpan and broom? And she said, I heard that some of my nurses on the third floor were leaving a big mess for housekeeping. So I'm going over there while they're still on shift to show them how to clean up after themselves. And I think for me, that's really, um, you know, it was kind of a joke for her. Like, I'm going to joke and say, I'm not big enough to clean up after myself. So certainly you shouldn't be. But for me, that was really important in that I am never too important to roll up my shirt sleeves and help the people who work for me get the job done if they're struggling, if that means inputting call schedules or or working files if someone's really overwhelmed, I am never too important for that. So I, I think about her, her name's Constance, I think about her often and how that's the kind of leader that I want to be. I too have had the great pleasure of working under three or working with or under three previous NAMS presidents. Again, one's on this call. She was one of my first jobs. And then Bonnie Gutierrez, I worked with her too. And then the, the third one was Kim McKinley. When I moved to Traverse City, Michigan, she hired me and was a previous NAM president. And all three of them really supported me in my career, supported me to get educated as a CPCS and CPMSM, and then eliminated really any barriers in doing my job. All three of them were just very inspirational encouraging and accomplished women that I I wanted to be like when I advanced my career. But more currently, I would have to say my CMO, Linda Peterson, is a very inspirational leader to work for. She is one of the only female CMOs in the health system and really advocates and has taken it upon herself to learn a great deal about the medical staff services department understands that we are the gatekeepers of patient safety and advocates for our departments. She is extremely busy, but has taken the time to learn everything about the medical staff credentialing department, the importance of it, and again, keeps advocating for it. And she's really the reason that we're moving forward with the central verification office, the central peer review department, and a more systematic approach for credentialing overall. So we're not making mistakes or there's room for error. MSPs are the gatekeepers of patient safety, ensuring quality care through the credentialing and privileging of healthcare providers in an ever-changing industry. Expand your knowledge base and core competencies by visiting nams.org forward slash education. What mentorship qualities have you acquired based on those who have mentored and guided you as you've progressed in your career? The mentorship qualities I've acquired based on those who have mentored and guided me as I've progressed in my career started with just a foundation of supporting continuing education, um, the importance of networking and professional growth. I was really strongly encouraged to seek out those opportunities and to serve as a volunteer for organizations like NAMS and for my state association. And I think that the confidence from my mentors has been instrumental in my journey. 
I've been fortunate to serve as a board member at both state and national levels. And I got really valuable experiences that cultivated my leadership skills and demonstrated my commitment to the medical services profession as a servant leader. And so I learned some of the most vital attributes that make a successful leader and a good mentor are just being that that person, that advocate for my peers and not being afraid to pursue new challenges. Yeah, I think um, when I was first promoted to manager, we had a slightly different structure here at Centura Health where I actually was reporting to the chief medical officers of the two sites that I was a medical staff manager for. And um, when I think back on how they, uh, the, the difference between reporting to a, a senior MSP versus a chief medical officer, like the chief medical officers just want to plow, plow the field, clear the way, part the waters, part the sea, and, and um, get things done when you come to them with a problem, right? They're texting someone, they're shooting off an email, and, and that is efficient. Things get done. But that did not help me grow um, or build those relationships with the other people that the CMO is just, you know, going around me to send the email. And so while that is a really efficient way to get things done and I and things get done quickly, um, that probably was not great for my development. So when our leadership structure changed and I started reporting to senior, you know, the system director of medical staff services for Centura, um, that was a big change in the way that our one-on-ones went, right? It, it became very different. It wasn't about plowing whatever was in my way out of my way for me. It was about um, brainstorming with me and advocating for me and helping me figure out who who to email or who else to contact or how should we set up this meeting and really collaboratively talking through problems instead of just plowing through my problems. So, um, and while, yes, it is less efficient, it feels like a lot of work. And sometimes when you go to those one-on-ones, you just want to complain about things and not talk about solutions. Uh, that is a much better process for my personal development. So when I, um, so now that I'm mentoring other people or my own team or in one-on-ones of people who report to me, I, it's really easy for me to also take that CMO mindset of just firing off texts and emails because people know me and will listen to me when I, I really need to slow down and always remind myself that that's not helping them. I need to help them get to the point where um, they don't need to come to me with these problems that they feel empowered to solve them themselves. So it's uh, become more collaborative in my own mentoring relationships with people that report to me about how we can fix these problems best together with still keeping, you know, the coordinator at the forefront and at the center of that conversation and not just moving them right out of the way. So mentorship qualities that I have acquired, um, based on those who have mentored me as taking a step back and listening, um, not always coming forward with immediate answer or solution, um, being a real active and good listener. And then when the time's appropriate, passing on that knowledge and providing critical feedback when appropriate. Um, I feel kind of like what Mallory said, if you constantly just jump right in and try and solve all the problems, reduce all the barriers, and and solve all the problems for them you're not encouraging uh staff or medical staff professionals to to really grow on their own um another portion of that is building trust um building trust is a big um thing i like to do with my my current staff if you have that relationship 
um, it, it really helps them be the best of what they can be in what they want to do, whether that is medical staff services or not. <laughs> I know that sounds like a weird answer, but but it's not for everybody. So it's building trust, having those open lines of communications, eliminating barriers and helping them be the best person they can be moving forward in whatever uh, profession that, that may or may not be. Hopefully it is medical staff services. But like I said, everybody's unique and individual and, and knowing that they can maybe go outside the green or maybe we can find something that works for everybody is the way I can be my best mentor or be the best mentor I can be. What are some challenges you faced as women in this particular sector of healthcare and how have you overcome these challenges? Some of the challenges I've faced as a woman in this particular sector of healthcare um, are being viewed as the secretary or executive assistant to the CMO or chief of staff. And, and early on in my career, being afraid to speak up and assert myself as a subject matter expert in the room because I didn't hold a specific title or degree and I lacked the confidence to be that person. I also learned early on that being in a meeting and hiding behind a computer, typing away and taking minutes, that makes the other people's in, people in the room see me as just the administrative help or recorder. And honestly, what an MSP brings to the healthcare team is so much more than that. Um, I think if we think about the traditional MSP role, um, it, it has been closely associated with service-oriented functions, which are considered more feminine rather than being operational and strategic, which are considered more masculine. Um, I think the role I have now um, may not say executive in the title, but I'm treated as such because I was empowered to see it as such. Uh, it involves strategic thinking and planning. It requires delegation, which is a very different job than what I was doing in the hospital day to day as a pretty darn good MSP. Um, I remember when I said to my then boss, who was a senior VP, he was not a physician, in my traditional MSP mindset of serving our physician leaders, how can I serve you? His response was, you don't serve me. This is a partnership and we are going to do some really cool things. And it was refreshing and invigorating and a terrifying response all in one. Um, that level of trust and respect that he gave to me uh, really inspired me to have the mindset of equality as a reality, to look at my role as an MSP differently and to be a better leader, which has directly affected my personal growth as a new executive leader. I, I challenge other MSPs to look at their roles and potentially differently, especially with so much change going on in healthcare. Um, we're no longer relegated to simply doing credentialing and privileging. And many MSPs work in other areas besides hospitals and have purview over things like provider enrollment and quality and peer review and data management. So I would encourage those MSPs listening to check out the Tomorrow's MSP resources available via the NAMS website. Yeah, I think, I mean, when I think about um, challenges I face as a woman, I, I could totally just echo everything Amy said that, um, you know, we really do have to, to work to, and the perception is certainly diminishing that we are the secretary to whomever, the CMO or the medical staff president, but that still depends on every MSP also um, agreeing with, with that, that we are not, that that is not who we are. We, we are the medical staff governance experts. We are the ones who know the bylaws back and forth. And we are the ones who know, you know, when we're in over our head and we probably need to call the legal team. So that is our seat at the table, which is why we shouldn't be 
just the one that is perceived as taking the minutes. That's not, we are sort of the medical staff consultant. We're the medical staff. Um, but I also think, you know, there's this interesting, I've been thinking a little bit, reading this question made me think about some, an interesting sociological concept uh, called the, the glass escalator. So, you know, there's this idea I think we're all familiar with called the glass ceiling, which is women who work in male dominated fields have this sort of glass ceiling. And so the first woman that becomes a CEO is always celebrated and we're always excited for her. Uh, conversely, um, there's also a concept called the glass escalator, which is that men who work in female dominated roles often get promoted much quicker than, than women or a much higher uh, percentage of them are in leadership roles than are you know, actually doing the work or stratified as part of that population. And, and I do see that happening in the medical staff services profession. And, and it makes me wonder why. And perhaps it's some of what Amy's saying too, that we women have to get over this perception that we can't be strategic or we can't um, have a seat at that table as an equal member. Like we need to get over that ourselves and believe that the rest of us are strategic and should be um, talking about innovative ways to transform our industry. And what's the best way to do certain things, not because we've always done it, to, to sort of reverse that glass escalator trend and get just as many, you know, proportion of women, which there are a lot of them in our profession, who are doing the day-to-day -day work in, in the offices of the hospitals, also are the ones that are, are just as often leading um, departments and, and leading, being the system directors for um, hospital health systems at, in the same proportion. Um, yeah, I'll just mirror what Amy and Mallory have already said. A big obstacle I've overcome in just about every job I've had as an MSP is that secretarial tag that you, you constantly get put into um well you just push papers you just you, you know you you don't think you just follow processes and push papers i've um had disagreements with our hr process on how we're classified if we're professional or if we're clerical um and i, I do feel that as uh, being a predominantly woman driven field that we immediately get put into that secretarial category um Overcoming those challenges is just what we've been saying, making yourself known. Don't sit behind your computer and just take minutes. Um, I just recently got a, a, a little note from our CNO. Um, she was an interim CNO, but I had known her for quite a while and she had never known me professionally, just that I was the manager of the medical staff department. But she uh, attended our MEC and wrote that, um, she wanted to express that she was um, very impressed with my experience and my knowledge when I spoke up at the MEC meeting and how I really handled the physicians well. Um, that's just something I feel like you have to do. You have to self-advocate and be knowledgeable in order to get out of that secretarial type designation that, that everybody wants to put you in. And therefore, I, I really do try and speak up and help the physicians do their jobs <laughs> um, and make myself known instead of just sit there and don't say anything and take notes. So, so that's how I, I kind of overcome that stigmatism. And it is, um, it's, it's something that's noticed then by senior leadership when, when you do step up and, and make yourself known. Like what you hear on the Tomorrow's MSP podcast? 
Visit namsgateway.org to catch up on more content and insights from medical services professionals and industry experts. In what ways can women further establish themselves as influential forces in healthcare and gatekeepers of patient safety? So, so women can further establish themselves as influential forces in healthcare and gatekeepers of patient safety. We've talked about it a lot today by seeing opportunities differently, seeing challenges differently, and asking for things differently. Um, I think it's important that you understand that developing as a leader requires identifying and understanding your strengths and your weaknesses, and you work on both. You have to recognize that advancement within organizations requires an alignment of your own path and the strategic direction of the organization. So the organization you're with today may not be the organization you find yourself with tomorrow. Um, And you have to think about those opportunities that you might be turning down because you're not thinking you could ever leave a certain place. Um, Realize that uh, there are critical points in a woman's career where advancement is possible. Um, and so being prepared to step up at the right time is imperative. You know, you, you have to make tough decisions and, you know, maybe take a promotion or take something that maybe you aren't 100% qualified for, but you're still the best candidate and you can prove yourself in that particular role. Uh, remembering that healthcare is a dynamic industry that seeks innovation and leaders who can improve both care and the bottom line. So think about, you know, especially today, like how can you, be as lean as possible, improve processes, be more efficient with less resources, with less funds. And uh, people that can do that in today's healthcare industry are noticed and remembered for that. Um, And keep in mind that even if you have the right skills, if you don't change your thinking, you're going to hold yourself back. So you continually have to expand your horizons and keep improving even your most basic skills, your bread and butter there's always more you can do and learn. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think this goes back to the strategic thing. I think women, you need to take ownership of your career and strategically think about where you want to be. And when we all first got on this Zoom, Amy made a joke about how she just fakes things till she makes it. Cause we've never, none of us have ever done a podcast before. And I think you sort of have to have that attitude about your career too in have a a strategic vision, but also know that you're going to have to figure out how to get there. You're not going to know everything you know today is not enough for you to get where you want to go. And the only way to learn those things is to just jump in feet first, head first, just jump in. So I also think about, you know, there's a concept called being a career capitalist. So I know Amy talked about taking ownership of her CPCS and CPMSM and paying for those herself. And I I think that's great, but maybe not everyone has those resources. So think about the resources that might be offered to you and get creative. If your company has tuition reimbursement, would they be willing to pay for a CPCS prep course or a CPMSM prep course through that program? And then if the answer, if you should ask, and if the answer is no, then at least you asked and now you know, but if the answer is yes, then typically that is a bucket of money that renews every year. So continue to use that concept and think about what can I use my one or two or $3,000 on next year to further increase my own education and my own knowledge. And I also think the other part about thinking strategically is being able to look at healthcare and think about, as Amy said, where is healthcare going or have an imagination about where is healthcare going? Where's our field going and what skills in the future might you need that you don't have right now or that you might not need right now? Is that perhaps becoming more proficient 
on the healthcare quality side of things? Is that becoming more knowledgeable about HIM? I think just expanding your skills to have an idea about where our industry and where healthcare is going in the future, which is always probably going to be doing more with less resources, but being able to look at that through a strategic lens and then prepare yourself for what your strategic lens tells you is coming. I'm going to mirror what everybody else says. Basically, you have to advocate for yourself. What I've done throughout the years is really become the uh, expert, the knowledge expert. Uh, when I'm at a facility, I know the bylaws, I know the credentials policy, I, I know the information I need to know. I know the Joint Commission accreditation, I know the CMS accreditations, and therefore I'm not scared to speak up when the time comes and, and really become the go-to person. Um, in that organization and hopefully the organization can recognize my skills and ability and I can become a more influential force as time goes on. Now, if the place I'm working for at the time does not recognize that, you also have to know when to get out and maybe advance your career in other ways. I think Amy had mentioned this, kind of knowing when to take the opportunities to move, to move up. I've had to throughout my career um, jump around a little bit uh, to get that next job, to get the next position, to get that next level of expertise and professionalism. And I couldn't do that by staying at the same job for years in and years out when they really, the culture was just not there to respect the medical staff services department. So I guess that's the moral of my story is you have to self-advocate, know your information, and then know when to stay and know when to leave. <laughs> Why is it important to actively empower the next generation of MSPs, and how have you taken it upon yourselves to nurture those just getting started? It's important to actively empower the next generation of MSPs because there are simply not enough of us to go around, and the profession is evolving. I feel a responsibility as a leader in this profession to nurture and actively mentor those not only who are just getting started but really those with any level of experience who are willing to have a conversation about their career and aspirations and truly pay it forward when I can. Who I do that with ranges from my direct reports to past colleagues to a mentee I have via the NAMS mentoring program. I even have a past intern that still reaches out to me when she is looking for some advice. It's really important to me to help enable them in their individual growth. And that can involve providing the right tools, the right resources, basic advice. But on another level, it's just about building an authentic connection with someone and helping them to recognize their strengths and identifying areas for them to pursue. And then generically, I just believe there are a few key ways women can empower themselves in any industry. Education. I, I spoke about the power of certification, but education is a gateway to professional and personal progress. And honing your leadership and business skills salary increases and career acceleration are some of the reasons to invest in yourself with higher education. Mallory spoke about taking advantage of tuition reimbursement opportunities through your employer. There are scholarship opportunities through NAMS and your state association. And many times that money goes unclaimed. It's free money, but just few people even try for it. I decided to pursue my master's degree later in my career and use tuition reimbursement. And it gave me a chance to not only get another level of a degree, but to network in a different way and the confidence to explore new opportunities outside of my comfort zone. I think having a mentor, learning from a mentor is important. We touched on this earlier, but a mentor has knowledge and expertise that will contribute to your learning and skill development in a way little else can. Uh, 
they're also that trusted person who's your reality check, especially in your chosen profession as an MSP is invaluable because I can call up my mentor and go, am I crazy? Is, you know, am I doing something wrong? You know, be honest with me. Am I too emotional about this issue? Mentors really impart their knowledge, but they can serve as your accountability partner in your sounding board. You also need to embrace your personal leadership style. Personality traits, like being sensitive. I've been called sensitive. I've been called quiet. Those might be considered feminine, but those are characteristics that make for a good leader. And you just have to adjust your mindset and, and shed your limiting beliefs and maintain openness to the idea that your experiences have prepared you to be a good leader. And then hold on to your core values. Your core values make you who you are. You don't change, right? Achieving your potential requires you to be confident in yourself and believe in your own self-worth. And don't think you have to compromise who you are or that you need to be like every other leader. You have to contribute your own unique, diverse self to the mix. So in closing, I just say empowerment is the feeling that you can do anything and you deserve to do well. And it all starts with honing your skills and developing your support system and staying true to yourself. It's important to actively empower the next generation of MSPs because as we've all said, most of us have fallen into this career and have grown to love it. And so in order for the next generation to be as successful or hopefully more successful than we have been, we need to bring them along. We need to explain why things are important, make sure they understand the state statute. We have to be like a little medical staff services college within each of our departments in order to make sure we can continue to, to function. And I, because I love this profession, especially peer review, and I find it fascinating and interesting, and I love coming to work every day, I've taken it upon myself to nurture those just getting started. If anyone reaches out to ask about what we do or what medical staff governance is, I will take time to talk to them. We recently had a member of our, on our peer enrollment team who had been a member of our peer enrollment team for a few years. And and we had a team building event where payer enrollment and all the medical staff services departments got together. And she had no idea that there was this whole other side of credentialing that had really nothing to do with credentialing, but had to do with privileging and, and medical staff governance and managing physician behaviors and working with physician leaders on the hospital to make sure that patient safety is at the forefront. She worked on our team for years and had no idea what we were actually doing inside the medical staff services department that is so different than payer enrollment. So I think also just being generous with your time. If there's someone who wants to know more about what we're doing or is interested in, in what happens in your office suite, tell them, let them know the interesting parts of your day, the horrible parts of your day, what gives you job joy and be an advocate for our profession so that we can continue to nurture and grow MSPs. So I think it's important to actively empower the next generation. Every generation brings something new to the table and the upcoming generation is diverse in their own way. And with the changes in the medical staff professional field, I do feel that it's a good skill set to tap into. So therefore we always have to look at the next generation after us and even the one we're in. With that being said, things that I do to try and nurture those getting started is I do two different things. One thing I like to do, and this is because it happened to me when I was a new grad, was hire new grads without any medical staff professional experience. 
you don't go to school for medical staff services, you learn on the job. You just need that that foundation. So I like to look outside of the the box when it comes to applicants, open a candidate pool up quite a bit and, and bring in just about anybody with <laughs> with all sorts of diversified backgrounds and at least give them the interview option to see if this is a good fit for everybody involved. I think that's a really important fact because a lot of people don't even know what the medical staff services department is and come to end up truly loving it. The other thing that I've recently done is volunteering for the state board so I can help advocate. We had a really hard time finding a candidates for our upcoming election at our state board. And I not personally at a time in my life where I really wanted to take on the president-elect position, but I said, this is my association. It's going to be my association for the rest of my career. I want it to grow and succeed. So I took on the board position and in that position, I'm hoping to reach others and network with others and really advocate because I find you do get a certain percentage of people that get into the industry and maybe had a bad experience for whatever reason and then get out of it and go on to something else. So just making the time talking to individuals that are new in the industry, offering your support, your knowledge base, and trying to keep them in the industry and and keeping them on a, a good career path is, I think, a critical thing that I can do to help that next generation build because we, we definitely do need more volunteers, more leaders, and uh, more people in the industry. Thank you for listening to the Tomorrow's MSP podcast, the voice of the medical services profession. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Amy Woolley Randall, Mallory Murbeth, and Kate Kramer for joining me on this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune in to the next episode to stay up to date on the latest news and insights. Read more in-depth articles on trending topics by visiting us at namsgateway.org. Until next time.